You're listening to The Industrial Movement, where we discuss the people, the processes, and the equipment that drives American manufacturing. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The Industrial Movement podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and the show notes can be found at our website at www.theindustrialmovement.com. Come back often and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow the show on Twitter at The Industrial Movement or on our Facebook page. All links to our social media can be found in the show notes and also at the bottom of our website. Now, let's get on to the show. Hi, folks. Welcome back to The Industrial Movement. I'm your show host, Morty Hodge. And with me, as always, my trusty sidekick, Greg Smith. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today, we're honored to have Chad Harmon. He's the Director of Manufacturing at Second Nature. He's based out of Washington, North Carolina. Chad, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Chad, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to become the Director of Manufacturing and then a little bit about Second Nature. Yeah. So right out of high school, I went into the Marine Corps, served five years there. I was a plane captain and jet engine mechanic on the Harrier. I was stationed here at Cherry Point, North Carolina. Thank you for your service. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's a gorgeous place. From there, went up to Grand Rapids, Michigan, and uh, started as a repairable asset control manager for General Motors. It was for a company out of Livonia, Michigan, actually, called Phillips Service Industries. We took care of all their repairable items for transfer presses from motors to PLC cards and those type of things. Repaired them and then brought them back. So I, I was on site there. At that point, I really figured out that you know my Marine Corps background wasn't going to be a ton. So I went to, I went to college to University of Phoenix up there, got a degree in business management. I went to on-site there in Grand Rapids. So I, I wasn't disciplined enough to do uh, online. So I, I did that and then got into supply chain. And that's really where I found the business in, in general and, and really like that. I worked for a point of purchase display manufacturer. It was all engineered to order. And then I moved back down uh, to where I grew up in right by South Bend, Indiana, and started with Solaire Air Compressors and was a buyer there and uh, learned a lot of different things from lean manufacturing and so on to that. And then I got into operations and small liquid filling equipment company out of LaPorte, Indiana. So a lot of engineer make to order items there. We were very small, so it was, it was a great place to get my feet wet in lean manufacturing, you know, some 5S and really some standardization across the, the product lines there and really enjoyed that. And then from there, I got into chemical distribution for automotive service. So I worked for a company called Chemcrest out of Elkhart, Indiana. Learned a, a ton there. Had three warehouses and really got into data mining and analytics and those type of things, working into uh, distribution, just slotting the warehouse and, and those type of things. So really fell in love with data at that place. And then went into NSG Pilkington over in Niles, Michigan, automotive glass manufacturer. So we did encapsulation of the glass and then moved down to North Carolina and here at Second Nature for director of manufacturing. So we're, I would say, a little past the startup phase, but our manufacturing is, is more startup than manufacturing HVAC filters for a little over a year. So we're, we're brand new into the manufacturing side here, which is a lot of, there's a lot of exciting times for that. So in second nature, we do uh, distribution as well. So it's a, say a subscription based service for HVAC filters. So very similar to dollar shave club and that type of thing. So you can sign up as a consumer and we'll ship the filter out in one, two and three month increments. And we have three MERV ratings for that. 
And that's on, so we do on the, that on the classic filter side. We also do make to order custom size filters. So in eighth inch increments, you'd be pretty amazed on how many sizes of different filters there are out there to be able to make. You would think at some point an engineering group would get together and standardize the size of air filter in, in homes and in businesses, but it's just not the case. We actually cut the filters down, recap the end of them and custom fit those for them. And part of that is what we do as, as far as the manufacturing side. And then we also make what we call a magic filter. So it's a filter that actually folds up and we can send it via mail. So any kind of different sizes there, we, we make that filter all in-house here. And then we fold it up, put it into basically the size of a personal pan pizza box, if you can visualize that. And then send it out via mail or FedEx. And then you get it, open it up, it pops open into a standard size filter. You throw it in there, date coat those. We do that for the consumers and we also do that for property management systems. How, you know, most of the filters we buy from Home Depot or Lowe's, they're cardboard, you fold it in half, it's destroyed. Tell me how you guys overcame that to where you could fold it up, ship it in a, like you said, a pizza size box. The customer opens it and it pops open. Tell me about that. So there's a little bit more to it. That's part of what I can't really go into, but it, it's a metal frame. It has the uh, same MERV ratings as your standard filter that you have there, but it, it actually folds up and then and expands back out. It just pops open. So that's part of the customer experience of the pop. And so you, you get this and, and it's, it's a pretty neat thing. The two guys that started it, Thad and Kevin, they actually, they were going to NC State and they came up with this distribution type system because most people forget to change their air filters in their homes. This is a reminder. It comes automatic and you pick the increments and then they send it out there. And then they had this idea that, hey, how can we change the industry? That's kind of how it all got born. And they it kind of went you know, from there a lot smarter than me to be able to, to figure that out. But yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. And then, so that's on the manufacturing and distribution side. So we do the property management service. They have a, a new program going on right now. That's the residence benefit package. And that's for renters and, and those type of people in apartments. There's a lot of benefits from insurance to uh, credit reporting and those type of things. And it's a lot more than I can speak to because I'm not on that side of the business. But I know it's a lot of exciting things happening as far as being able to give the renter and the property management person and, and company a lot of benefits to them and really help those people out you know, on the renting side. So you were saying that you guys are relatively new into the manufacturing side of the business. Is that correct? Yes. Where is your facility in North Carolina? If so, whereabouts? So our headquarters is in Raleigh, North Carolina, and our manufacturing facility is here in Wilson, North Carolina, which is about 40 minutes east of Raleigh. And how long have you been set up and making the filters there? So just over a year, we've been manufacturing here. It's probably going on closer to maybe 19 months now. And then I've been here just over a year. So about 14 months for myself. And so basically brought me in. I have some experience in manufacturing and, you know, lean manufacturing. So it's just taking it, building out the processes and evening out the flow of materials or raw materials and, and those type of things, which is a lot of fun. I've, I've never been in the size of a business that we're able to do this. I mean, throughout this process, what have been the biggest challenges getting that all going? So the really interesting part down here is getting people from the area that have some kind of manufacturing experience. So we have a lot of people in this area that manufacturing is not just not heavy right here in Wilson. So being able to bring people on that have the experience and the knowledge. The really neat thing down here is you're bringing in fresh minds, unlike 
you know, up north in Michigan and Indiana, you have everybody that's had experience with 5S or lean manufacturing at some point, and they have bad experiences to share. And you always have that person that is, I don't like that, and, you know, and they're, you know, grumbling about it. And down here, it's like you're introducing this to people that have been doing, you know, kind of lean stuff maybe in their personal lives or they're great at coming up with ideas, but they don't know how to implement them and those type of things. And, and when they get here and, and they start hearing you talk about that, it's just the light bulb goes on and it's, it's amazing. And, it, and it's actually a lot of fun. And, you know, we have our ups and downs and, you know, just like anybody else, you know, we have attendance issues, but the willingness for the people to flex from machine to machine and, and do things that they're not necessarily is in their job title that day, because, you know, we need to get customer, you know, demand out, you know, that, that part's a lot of fun, but, at the same time, you got people that are coming in to have zero, they don't have that drive or I'm going to look at this and then be able to figure that out. And so it's kind of, it's a double-edged sword, but it's, it's, most days it's a lot more fun. But as far as everybody else goes, you know, trying to get people to come to work right now is that's just all over the place. Be able to come here, you know, they stay for a month or two and then they're finding another job or, you know, they've had enough working for, you know, a time period and, you know, they want to stay home or, you know, they have attendance issues and sometimes you got to be a little bit more lenient you know, on things than others. What are some things that you've learned along the way during this startup version of uh, manufacturing versus your time in established manufacturing? Well, I think first and foremost is it's about relationships. And I've noticed that in my past is I have to build a relationship, but down here I have to build a relationship number one. So they trust me and I'm not from here. So that's a little bit of a barrier, you know, you can come down here, but they have to trust me. And then I have to build my credibility at the same time. So they understand that, hey, I kind of know what I'm talking about, but I have to be very humble and say, you know, and vulnerable and talk about my mistakes that I've made in my past and those type of things that really help build a rapport with the, the individuals. And it allows them to be able to feel comfortable, even a lot more with somebody that's got more experience that is able to have a suggestion and know how to implement it. You know, I got people that have, you know, I have a lot of great ideas, but have zero idea on how to implement or how to go about it. Other manufacturing leaders that are listening to the show, what is some advice that you could give them? Well, I think the biggest advice that I could give is you have to be able to do a lot of self-reflections, be humble, continue to learn from everybody. That's a big thing too. Even though I have people that you know don't have the experience, I can learn a lot from them and I have to show them that I'm willing to learn from them as well. I have to build a culture of people that are willing to take risks I lead in a different manner myself with the end intent. So I lead with, this is where we need to go. I help them figure out this is the path that they, that they need to go on, if that makes sense there. Hey, you, you've gone a long way in the in industry and manufacturing. What are some resources or books or anything that helped you along the way on your path that maybe you could share for us? Well, I've heard a couple of your other interview people talk about extreme ownership, and that's that's a huge book for me You know that really helped me out. And then I listen to a lot of podcasts. I do a lot more podcasts than reading. I have a 55 minute drive each day one way. So I take advantage of that and listen to all kinds of different podcasts from leadership to, you know, health and running and, and those type of things. And you can gain just tidbits on any kind of podcast out there that's talking about leading people or leading yourself and implementing change and really kind of dig that in. But the extreme ownership for me was a huge book. I listened to the audio version as well. I mean, oh, as you yeah. have talked about previously and get a lot more bonus material, I think, on that, just a little tidbits and, and so on. Who are a couple of people that have been influential in your life and your career? 
First, my grandfather was probably the biggest one. He retired as a welder from Oliver Tractor Company up in South Bend, but he had to quit school in seventh grade and then came back back in that time. I mean, that was a lot more common. Then he became an entrepreneur, built a trailer park, you know, from hand to just give people starting out in their lives an opportunity. So I got to see the business side of life, you know, and I always wanted to be like him and, and kind of, you know, at first I wanted to be in charge and I wanted a fancy title and so on. But, you know, he really taught me how to, how to deal with people and, you know, kind of defuse situations. And then from a business side, there was an individual at Kimcrest named Ron West. He came from GM and I learned so much from him. He was a retired guy that came to us, helped Kimcrest kind of get going in their distribution side and a lot of ideas and brought a lot of, you know, items from GM. And it was just a, a great mentor for me, taught me a ton. And he was a guy that would just push and, you know, he knew how to push the right buttons with my kind of personality, I guess. And we got along great and he just taught me a, such a tremendous amount. And then other people, I, I listened to a lot of football coaches. I love college football because it's leadership live in front of you almost. You can kind of you know, from like Lou Holtz. I'm a big Notre Dame fan, so. I figured being from South Bend. <laughs> you know, from Lou Holtz, even to Brian Kelly and this, you know, other college football coaches around, you can kind of see the week's progression and how they, they kind of prepare for the game, the, you know, the different dealings they have to deal with the people and then how their, their plan kind of takes place, you know, how they change and develop, you know, on the, you know, during the game. You can take a lot of that into business and, and kind of utilize that during your week or month or, you know, and don't be afraid to make changes once you get going on your plan. What are some of the day-to-day challenges you face in your position? Uh, day-to-day challenges is basically making the plan go. We're, you know, just from scheduling and, and getting people to understand that they have to follow the schedule and then how important that is. So really go back to the why. So why do we have to do this? You know, why do we have to make so many a day? Why do we have to reduce our scrap and those type of things? And, and that's something that, you know, that I'm out there doing. I have a production scheduler and she does a great job and I have, you know, supervisors on the floor. I feel my position is going out there and really explaining the why we're doing something and why we need to do it and why we need to change and and those type of things. I know you can't get too involved in it, but tell us a little bit about a typical process at Second Nature. How does the process of the raw material coming into the finished product going out the door? What does that look like? Yeah, so we get, I would imagine it's just like any other filter company, we get a media that comes in, we put it through a pleating operation and cut it down to size. And then we put it through an assembly machine that puts it into the frame and the, the wrap around it. And we label it and then it goes out and it gets folded. And then we ship it out to the customer. So I mean, it's a pretty basic process that it doesn't entail a lot, but a lot can go wrong within those three steps that you know we try to do. What processes do you use to maintain your efficiency and productivity to stay on schedule? Well, we have a shift start meeting for every shift and we go through a board that I kind of took as it was introduced to me from General Motors, SPQRC, which is safety, people, quality, responsiveness, and cost. And so we detail that out each day. We start with safety as the most important and then people, any kind of new people, people that are out on vacation, detail all that out. And then the quality piece, responsiveness is how we, we deal with our customer on time delivery. And we have an internal customer, which is the distribution side. So we talk about any kind of late work orders that we have or we're running behind. And then our costs, we talk about our KPIs, which are you know just our efficiencies 
uptime and downtime on the machines, any kind of unplanned downtime, and really try to get the operators to detail that out and speak to it during the meeting. And then we have a we have a meeting each day with our lead operators. We do a gimbal walk with them, talk about any kind of issues out there and what we can do to you know remove obstacles in their way. You know that we're here to kind of discuss that. KPIs are one of the things that I'm huge on. It's all about efficiency, but it's a scorecard, right? Let you know if you're winning and losing. How do you know if today was a good day or not based on what your expectations are versus reality? Is there any KPIs that you guys track that are unique to your industry or unique to your company? Uh, not really. You know, we just, same thing. We just do parts per hour. I like to break it down into man minutes per piece. And that's something that, you know, I brought from another company. It's a labor tracking, you know, type thing. And then, you know, just uptime and then, you know, quality, any kind of scrap that we're doing. So nothing kind of earth shattering there on the KPI side. The biggest thing here is, in my view, is when you're red, it's an item to go put a little bit more time into, a little bit more research to try to figure that out. And it's not a you've lost today type of thing. It's what are we doing to kind of fix it and get back on track? Sure. Talk to me a little bit about your safety programs. What do you guys have in place? Any protocols that might be specific to your machines or your processes? We really try to implement near-miss reporting to try to identify items that are, you know, coming up that, you know, could be a problem or it was a potential issue. We're really, you know, being part of a startup, we're really trying to form this out. I mean, we do our incident rate and keep that, you know, updated and, and kind of go through that during our morning meetings. And then we do job hazard or assessment sheets. So we do that for each position out there and really trying to implement that. So that's our safety program in a nutshell. Try to limit any kind of potential hazard that we have beforehand. Sure. Where do you think manufacturing's headed here in the United States over the next 10 years? It's a really interesting time to be in manufacturing. And I, I think during my, my career, I keep saying that. And then it you know either comes back a little bit and goes away and and so on. And, and with, you know, the tension between Russia and then China, it's going to be interesting to see how much we try to pull back, you know, to the U.S. and or just North America in general. So it's a little bit closer. I know just the cost of bringing in stuff from China right now is really, you know, hurting a lot of companies and, you know, us as far as raw material comes. It's something you got to get a really plan for now and just the timeline and can't get a truck from you know China to get to the port and, you know, all kinds of, there's a, there's a lot of complications in the supply chain period right now. And I don't know if it's, it's worth it. So it will be interesting to see if it comes back. Does Second Nature have a long-term mission or a vision of where you guys are going and some checkpoints and where do you guys see yourself in the next five to 10 years as a company? Yeah. So it's a really interesting market because everybody that has a house has an HVAC filter. So the market is humongous and we're, I mean, literally just a, a sliver of a nail on that. So we have a lot of room for growth and market share to kind of take. And, you know, we want to, we want to continue to grow. And, and right now we're, we're doing that and it's a lot of fun. Well, let's talk about some of the equipment there. What type of equipment does your field study use? So we have a pleating machine where we put the raw material through and it pleats it. And then we have a couple of assembly machines and that's on the magic filter side. And the other side, you know, we just, we cut down the filters with, you know, with a bandsaw and then recap them. So it's not, it's not a huge technical side. We do have some robots and, you know, and getting more experience on the, the robots and, you know, programming and, and trying to get stuff out of there. You know, that's something that we're really trying to do there. Chad, do you guys use compressed air? And if so, is it a solar? Yes. <laughs> so we do use compressed air. So it's kind of funny within the, first two weeks of me coming here, we, they were in the market for a new compressor. And I said, well, who are you going for or who are you looking at? 
they said Solaire right off the bat. I said, well, that's really interesting. So my wife actually still works for Solaire. She's the executive admin there. So it was kind of really interesting. I didn't take part in that. So I decided not to kind of put a plug in so nobody could come back at me. You couldn't make an impartial decision. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> right. I will tell you that the machine is great and no downtime on it so far. So we really like our Solaire compressor. I'll have to contact Solar and see if they want to sponsor this episode. <laughs> I feel like they need to cut the show some yeah, dollars yeah. here or something. And we'll talk to your wife about it. Okay. See what she yeah. Says. yeah. There you go. <laughs> what about energy efficiency? Do you guys have any initiatives around that at this point in time, or is it still too early in the manufacturing setup? It is really too early for us here. You know, just like anything else, we're trying to be as green as possible and energy conservative as we go. We have some we have some areas in our in our building that we're trying to do the the you know the lights that come on and off, motion lights, and, you know, and those type of things. Really conserve on that piece of it. You know, part of that bringing on a new compressor was the compressed air because you do you lose a lot of energy just with some leaks that people don't even think about. They just walk by and they hear that that hissing sound, and you know, it just becomes. You know, part of the background, and, you know, so doing things like that, you can save a lot of energy just right there. A lot of your machines are probably new since you guys are all new, but is there any challenges that you've experienced with the machinery so far that you've had to overcome? You know, it's just, you're correct. They are all new and it's, it's a new process and, and it's an innovative product. So part of that is we have machines that nobody else has. So it's not like we can just go get somebody off the, the street or we have, you know, a great troubleshooting manual. So it is, you know, sometimes it's kind of troubleshooting and trying this out and kind of going from there. You're the guinea pig for the many machines. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that part's great. I mean, the manufacturers did a great job on putting a machine out there that can do what we need it to do right now off of an idea. So that's a great part. What are some common myths that you think we can debunk or you'd like to debunk about manufacturing? You know, I, I think a lot of people look at ops as, as, as pretty boring and it's really what you make it. I can be a crime scene investigator, you know, trying to really recreate a, you know, an issue that comes up, you know, whether it's scrap or, you know, we're just trying to tune the machine up and get some time out of it. You got that going on. I have to be a mentor. I have to be a friend. I have to be a psychologist, you know, a lot of times I love the people side of the business. Anybody can come in and manage to a spreadsheet. And I think a lot of times they look at, you know, operations guys as, oh, you're just this hardened, cold person. And I have to be a lot of different people, you know, during the day. I have to, you know, it's, it depends on what my audience is and, and those. And, and sometimes that can be, you know, really can drain you. And then other times it can, it can just keep you on a high and going for a long time when you're helping people out. It's exciting. How do you see technology helping your business going forward? It sounds like you already have a good start on it. Yeah, I think the more we can automate, automation doesn't, you know, necessarily replace people. It, you know, maybe it takes a, an open head that I can't fill. I can't find a person for that. It takes that away and those type of things. So it trims my head count down, but just making it, you know, consistent and, you know, consistent product, try to take the, you know, the, the scrap rate out of it and those type of things. One of our goals is to create a community of manufacturing leaders. How can our listeners reach out to you and connect with you? LinkedIn is probably the best way. So I'm just, I'm on LinkedIn as, as Chad Harmon. And I try to be really active on LinkedIn and read a lot of the interesting articles that people put on there, but I'm quick to respond to, you know, messaging and, and those sort of things. Great. And I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Chad Harmon, thank you so much for joining us today on the Industrial Movement. It was a true pleasure to get to know you and learn a little bit more about Second Nature. Yeah, thanks a lot. I really appreciate the, the opportunity and it's really neat to see the behind the scenes part of a podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Chad. You have thanks a great a day. Appreciate it. Thanks. 
Well, folks, that's it for this week's episode. Be sure to visit our website, www.theindustrialmovement.com, to view today's show notes and get more golden nuggets of value that we have collected from manufacturing and industrial professionals in our archived episodes. On our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter and find links to join the Industrial Movement community on Facebook. The Industrial Movement podcast is where we discuss the people, the process, and the equipment that drives American manufacturing. I'm your host, Morty Hodge, wishing you great success.